0: This is The Big Interview. I'm Sonal Rupani alongside Chris McCarty and Robbie Greenfield. This is a podcast that delves deep into a myriad of real-life remarkable stories. We do love a good yarn, but beyond that, we explore how individuals find their purpose, how people react to the unexpected, and what happens when they're pushed to the brink. Now, imagine having a dreadful accident... Imagine being all on your own in the middle of nowhere. And now imagine that you're in a desert, a harsh, arid climate. And that is exactly what happened to Claire Nelson. Take a listen to this next clip. It's from her real life video blog, uh, which she took just moments, I think, after suffering this accident. And this clip appears on the show True Stories.
1: This is not where I expect this to end up. Claire Nelson has fallen off a cliff. She's unable to move. With a shattered pelvis in the desert. All alone Mm. and far from help. I might die here and I'm really scared that that's the case and I don't know. I don't know what to do, I can't get a signal out here. Um, I call for help and no one's out here. This is the stupidest thing I've ever done.
0: Oh, I'm panicking. Just thinking of that. It will, it will. will. As you'll come to find out, that was something that, first of all, she decided to diarise what happened to her for her loved ones, and then that video became a companion. Because uh, let's tell the story from the beginning without giving too much away. It took place in 2018, just over two years ago, and it centres on Claire Nelson, who is a New Zealander. Now, uh, it took place in the beautiful Joshua Tree National Park. Claire had moved to Canada in 2017 after deciding to make a fresh start. She'd been living in London prior to that. She'd been growing increasingly lonely in London. And she was craving the big outdoors. Some old friends of hers invited her to cat sit for three weeks in California. Now, Claire's friends lived on the borders of the Joshua Tree National Park, a famous American desert. And here, Claire describes the geography of this landscape.
1: It's small by American national park standards, but it's a big... Area that's completely rocky, sort of valleys and just the most strange um, plant life. They have obviously the the infamous Joshua trees themselves that everyone recognises from the cover of the U two album. And you know, it, it's it's one of those places where, as I'm sure with any desert, where you, you you start walking and then the landscape immediately starts to look different and change every time you look at it. But it, it's amazing these massive boulder stacks, these cliffs. You know, it it's such a, a curious place. It's, it's like nowhere I'd ever been before. It's almost like you're on the moon sometimes.
0: It's a beautiful place. It really is. It's some some place that I would love to go to personally. And Claire was an avid hiker. She'd been going on, on little day hikes at the Joshua Tree National Park. She'd been staying on her own. Her friends were away. She was cat sitting. And it had become normal that she didn't tell anyone where she was going. She was just off going out on a wander. And that means that no one was expecting her to check in. No one was going to miss her if she didn't check in. And this particular day, she'd selected the longest hike that she'd attempted thus far. It was on a trail called the Lost Palms Oasis. It was seven miles out, seven miles back. And it was a route which followed a rocky valley in the desert, eventually arriving at a a cluster of palm trees that sort of popped up like a mirage out of the desert. And uh, because it was an established trail, Claire said it did, simply didn't occur to her that it might be dangerous. About an hour into her walk, she lost the trail. And she didn't actually know she'd lost the trail at oh, the time. no. Because she, fo- she was following a dried out riverbed. And at some point or other, she missed a little turn off. It's very easy to do. If you go hiking here, it's the same thing. <laughs> you did it. Well, there you go. Time. We don't want get, to get into that. But after walking a little further, she arrived at this big stack of rocks. And she was expecting to do some scrambling on the hike. So this in itself wasn't that big a surprise. Up she went. She clambered up, climbing up onto the boulder stack. And she arrived at the top and she looked out across, if you can imagine, like a large sea of big boulders all sort of stacked on top of one another, little nooks and crannies all over the place. Stable because they're enormous rocks, but, but you know, with, with little gaps in them. So there she was, she was making her way across the boulder stack, unaware that she was no longer on the trail that she was supposed to be on, and she lost her footing. I
1: put my foot into the rock. It was a really big boulder. It was very smooth. I put my foot into the rock. And I, I thought I had a foothold, and it was only once I gave more of my body weight into it that I realised there wasn't really a foothold there, and so I just started to slide, and there's, it was just nothing to hold on to. I had my hiking stick in one hand, you know, I'm trying to grab at the rock with the other. There was just nothing. I was just, it was one of those moments where everything was going in slow motion, but it would have only been a matter of seconds.
0: Now she fell 20 feet before hitting the ground. Mm. So it's not a ridiculous height, but it's certainly high enough. Uh, What did she remember about the moment when she hit the deck?
1: It was more of a a sharp crack, uh, and I can still hear it to this day. I, I heard it before I felt it, I heard this crack and of course you know you sort of you are I'm landing kind of on my hip I hear this crack I collapse on the ground and then I felt the pain and then what I'd done is I'd, I'd completely smashed my pelvis and I tried to get up but I couldn't move anything below the waist and it was just this absolute panic of this is a this is bad this is really 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 bad.
0: So she's fallen into the middle of a collection of boulders Right into the middle. She's surrounded by large rocks. No one can see. Oh, no. You're talking about a a, a kind of boulder field where she is now in the middle and she's cracked her pelvis. She's smashed her pelvis, so she can't move. And she's in this kind of prison because the rocks are all around her, but at the same time, she's fully exposed to the searing heat of the sun. This was at about 10 o'clock in the morning, I believe. And to make matters worse, as she mentioned there... I asked her, surely you could drag yourself. Did you not try to move? And she explains why that was just an impossibility.
1: There's no way I could move. I knew that. I mean, I had attempted to get up even on my elbows, thinking maybe I could drag myself on my elbows, but I just couldn't. Like your central hinge is effectively broken. If you imagine you've broken the hinge on your your pedal rubbish bin and you push the pedal down, nothing happens. Uh, Imagine that it was really painful at the same time. That's pretty much what I was dealing with. I was trying to kind of lever myself up with my hiking stick, a bit like a carjack. I had this idea maybe, because you, you become very desperate. You think you'll try anything, even if you know it's ludicrous. I, I had this idea if I could lever myself onto my stomach, I could use my hands to pull myself along, but I, I couldn't. Like, was just the bones were in pieces. So even trying to lever myself up slightly, you just, all the bones just kind of shunted and moved, and then I sort of, the pain was just... You know, my brain is blocked it now, but it was, it was just the, the worst thing of have
0: felt. At this point, I mean, can you, what would be going through your oh, mind? I mean, I mean, I guess at this point, she doesn't know that she's off the beaten track. No. So right now, I'm obviously in, in excruciating pain, but I'm thinking to myself, right, it's 10am, it's early, someone, I'm, I'm just going to keep shouting, and someone, this is a famous path, yep. someone will come to my aid. At this moment in time. At this moment in time. But no but no doubt, in this little prison of rocks, the scale of her predicament was rushing in on her. So she hadn't seen anyone else on the trail since she left the car park. She'd deliberately chosen a Tuesday to do the hike so she could escape the weekend crowds. So she hadn't seen a single soul since she'd left the visitor centre of the Joshua Tree National Park. And here she describes the moment shortly after her fall when it dawned on her that this was an awful situation to be in.
1: I would say it was a combination of shock, fear and panic. You know, all that adrenaline that just runs through you. I was shaking. First, I thought maybe I was paralyzed, which was just terrifying. I realized I could wiggle my toes. So I started doing that mental sort of thing where you're in survival mode and you start to think, can I just assess the situation? But that was at the point when I realized what was working against me, that I hadn't told anyone where I was going, that um, I... Yeah, I couldn't get phone signal. I immediately grabbed my phone and tried to dial 911 and realized, of course, there's no phone signal. I didn't even have my phone in my backpack because I I knew I wasn't going to need it. And then, so that was, you know, another factor that just kind of hit me like, you know, a ton of bricks. And that was when I was, you know, when I realized I couldn't call anyone, I tried to look at my GPS and that was when I realized that I was at least a mile off the trail.
0: So within half an hour, Claire had grabbed her digital camera which she had been carrying with her, and she'd left a message for her family. And I asked her whether it occurred to her at this early stage that she might die in this spot. And she said, yes, you quickly do the mental calculations. And after initial shock, there's a pragmatic stage where you face up to the chances that you're not going to make it. And yet physically, she still had obviously days to play with. She wasn't going to die there and then. She had days, but, but not that much time because we'll get onto this and her water supplies were integral to this. But her mind must have, I, I put it to her, already started to play tricks on her pretty much from the get-go.
1: Hope is an incredibly powerful thing. It, you hear this a lot, but I, I can definitely vouch that it's, it's it's a life or death situation. Like Hope can be the thing that saves you. I, I say, if, once I realised that, and I'd kind of allowed myself to kind of, agree with the fact that it's likely I can die here, I then put it aside because it's that thing where you can let yourself panic and you can give up and I wasn't ready to do that yet. So you kind of hope makes you fight it and where your mind goes, your body follows and it's quite incredible how that works. So if you're telling yourself, no, no, I'm going to get out of this and there, you know, I, I say this on, on some of the videos I was leaving, you know, my video messages, it's just like, I'm going to survive this, I'm going to survive this um, and then you find the strength somehow to do that, even when you are, you know, you're under this unbearable, torturous heat, like having an oven heat, if you open the oven door, it's like having that on you all day long and not being able to move and being in this unbearable pain. You just think, no, no, we're, you know, it's fine, we're going to get, out. we're going to get out of here.
0: On her video messages, which she started to leave on a digital camera pretty much from the get-go, initially she's very chirpy, which she explains simply by uh, because she's Kiwi. <laughs> and it's just not in their nature to be overly dramatic. Now, she fell at about 10 o'clock in the morning, and after the initial panic subsided, her mind started racing, and she admits it didn't really occur to her that she would still be there come nightfall, but she was. As
1: soon as it started to get dark, sort of 6, 7 p.m., it was a point when I realized or allowed myself to realize that how this was worse than I thought, because, you know, if you have an accident and you're hurt and it's during the day, you know, you kind of, part of you thinks, well, you know, someone will find me and this will be, you know, I'll, I'll be fine. But when you're there at night, it's kind of a combination of going, well, no one came by, no one knows that I've gone missing. And the fact that I'd never, ever anticipated being out in the desert, I wasn't prepared for it. I hadn't bought any gears or any layers for it. it. It just came as a shock. And that's when the fear really kicked in. I doubled down. I was trying to find ways to keep myself warm. Um, you know, I was wearing a, a singlet top and shorts and boots. And I brought a big like an oversized t-shirt with me, to, you know, like a sun cover, sun cover up. And um, so I was kind of, and I had a bandana. So I was trying to use what I had to cover up as much of me as I could because you start to feel this sort of on your skin you start to feel a cold almost just like draping itself over you um and I knew if I could just cover up as much of me as possible it would help
0: and after roasting all day in the hot sun then the desert gets very cold during the night it must have just been terrifying as well because again mind is playing tricks on her like nobody's business now and she was lying there Also, unable to move and unable to react to anything that was to happen.
1: It was the longest night of my life. I didn't really sleep at all. Uh, I spent most of it just lying awake, terrified, because I wasn't sure what was going to come out in the dark. You know, I hadn't seen anything, any creatures that first day. And so, you know, your mind goes, well, then they're all going to come out at night. And even the snakes, which, you know, I, I know they don't come out at night, but, you know, I was convinced. In the darkness, I was seeing you know your eyes become accustomed to the dark with what very little light there is, but I was convinced that there were snakes that were calling out from these rocks that were all around me, and I'd be staring at the snake in, in the dark and just waiting like watching it frozen with fear, and then I'd get my phone very carefully, shine the torch, and there's nothing there, and it would just kept I kept doing that all night. it was absolutely terrifying.
0: It's the psychological kind of aspect to all of this because you're helpless. Your phone doesn't work. Your, your pelvis is broken. You now think, am I ever going to be found? Then nightfall arrives. Now you're freezing. Then you think, oh, there's animals. It's just one thing yeah, after another. Much. You hear things, you hear rustling, you hear a coyote howl somewhere in the in, in the distance. Yeah, terrifying oh. is not the word. But she was so uncomfortable as well because she was lying in one position. Her whole body pressing into the ground, unable to shuffle about even just to get a bit of relief. You know how that is when, you know, you're stuck somewhere and you get you you might get pins and needles, but she could not move. So by the next morning, she felt a surge of relief and hoped that this was the day that someone would come by and she would be rescued. But as happy as she was to see daybreak, she did not really want to see the sun again because it brought with it the prospect of more heat, more unbearable suffering under the sun. And water had started to become a concern by this point because she'd set out with three litres with her. By early morning of day two, just one litre remained. And 24 hours after she fell water had pretty much run out
1: it was actually about only 24 hours after i'd fallen so it's like the mid to late morning I'd, i had still had a right. little bit of water left but that was when i had to realize i had to had to come up with a new plan um and you know since i'd fallen what you know that first day trying to kind of like i say kind of assess what tools i have and what i need to do i started collecting my urine in my empty water bottle that i had mostly just trying to keep myself clean. I didn't want to smell too attractive to animals. Also just it's uncomfortable to lie there, you know, wet. So I'd been collecting it with this little paracetamol jar that I had in my first day kit and then tipping it into this water bottle. So obviously by the time my water was almost gone, I had this bottle of liquid and it just was like, okay, then before I run out of this water, I better check I can stomach it. And it was fine. I, I mean, it's disgusting. It tastes awful, but it, I could stomach it. And I was like, okay, well, then I've got more, I've got more hydration. It's not going to last me long term, but it will sustain me for a bit longer.
0: She actually told me that she'd been accosted by many an armchair expert who said that that was a very stupid thing to do, um, as if she'd been sort of recommending it as a, as a beverage of choice, <laughs> you know. Uh, but bottom line was that she was, obviously there are health complications associated with drinking one's urine, which aren't great, but she was prepared to take her chances because it was basically, well, I'll gamble with renal failure or I will certainly die of dehydration at some point soon. So she went for option A. But day two, dominated by thirst. And that was when she started hallucinating. She was thinking about fridges full of refreshing sports drinks and nice, cool beverages and just ah, You can imagine how your mind would just start playing tricks on you and running away. But sure enough, no one came by that day either. An afternoon turned into dusk. Dusk turned into night, and Claire was still right there in the same spot.
1: I was absolutely distraught to realise I'd be facing another night. I was just—I didn't want to be out there for another night. I couldn't—couldn't couldn't bear the thought of it. It was just so terrifying. Um, but by that afternoon, I was like, "No one's come by," and you know, there was this really kind of a really sad feeling of no one's noticed that I'm gone. And then kind of, you know, berating myself because I've put myself in that position, you know, and just feeling really sad about it. But then the fear kicked in again as, as sort of entered into a, a second night. I, I kept on recording messages on like, on my camera. At this point, I think it just—it was for my own sanity. It's therapeutic, you know, You, it, it's having someone to talk to, it, it, it is very calming and it, it kind of, it makes you feel less alone. When you're in that situation, it is such an awful feeling to realize how alone you are and that it, it's. It, the fact that you are alone, so alone that, that no one has noticed that you have gone, it's, it's such an awful feeling. And so that was something I did to kind of keep my spirits up. Um, you know, at one point I'm almost making sort of silly jokes and making myself kind of chuckle. Um, again, having to use humour as a sort of survival mechanism in a way. But the, the reality was that I was starting to, it was starting to get harder to hold on to or the hope of someone coming.
0: Obviously, at that point she'd been there forty eight hours now. she was doing a fair bit of introspecting by this point, and uh, one regret she told me that she settled on when looking back on her life, it will not come as a, as a surprise
1: you know when you're lying there and you're just really battling the heat and the thirst was the big thing, and so much of my focus and energy went on to that, but of course, my mind would think back on my life and, and ask myself questions you know like you know what would I have done differently you know what, and, and was, was I happy with the way I lived my life? And for the most part, I was, which is kind of a nice, nice thought. But actually, I've had a really really fun and exciting life, and I'm really grateful for that. But there were definitely parts of it where I just thought, oh, you know, I can't believe I wasted so much time. I, I think I realized my biggest regret, which is, it, it's, it's an odd one, but I realized i just spent so much of my life wasting time on the Internet. You know, which is like the internet's such a great tool, but yeah. I wasted so much time of like procrastinating and just scrolling mindlessly and, and and doing that as a form of distraction from really putting myself out there both, you know, creatively and as a writer and, and as a friend and, and just kind of just falling into this trap of living through this endless scroll of information we can be hooked on it it was such a mind uh, such a time suck you know I think that will
0: resonate with an awful lot of people mm. yeah for sure yeah and I think that'd probably be number one of things that people would quickly think oh well I've, I've not made the best use of my time now I've, I know for one that I would definitely fall into that camp of wasting endless hours just mindlessly scrolling and What are you you really doing? Mindlessly. It's mindless. It's totally mindless. It's a distraction. That's all it is. But the second night, she actually said it was easier than the first because she was so exhausted. She was actually able to get some some degree of sleep. But when morning arrived on day three, the hallucinations increased and Claire actually started to lose the plot. I asked her at what point did she actually start facing up to her her own mortality and she said it was the evening of day three.
1: I think that third night I finally accepted it and was like, okay, so... This is where I'm going to die. This is I now know I have that answer to that question. We all kind of wonder is how are we going to go. I know the answer to that now, and um, kind of just sort of accepted it and made peace with it. And um, and in a way, I was like, well, there there are worse places to kind of to to end up. You know, I was in a place that I I loved the desert, I loved the outdoors, and so I thought, well, you know, I'll just make peace with that now. This it looks, it looks like that was going to
0: happen. Claire is is now entering day four. Survival deal, mode deal. kicks in, doesn't it? I'm sure it does for for all humans. It does, but I wonder if we all have different thresholds for I what so. that survival mode is. Because yeah. she was saying there, your mind decides I'm on something, on day one, and, I think. yeah, <laughs> and your body follows. Right? I think that is so like key to how long it is that you managed to survive. But that's why I always admire people who are mentally tough because mm. I, I know I'm not mentally tough. But when I see someone who is, whether it be in sport or any field for that matter, I always admire that person because it's not easy no. to be mentally tough. In fact, it's the hardest thing to do. It's the easiest thing to just cave instantly. But in this occasion, clearly Claire had, you know, a lot of toughness about her. And, and by this stage, we're talking about end of day three. She's been drinking her own urine since day two. She's run out of water, her kidneys were aching, she was severely dehydrated. The idea of fighting the heat for a fourth day felt impossible.
1: Looking back, I can see the different points, I guess, where I've gone through those stages. The denial in the first instance, the anger at myself, the sadness of the idea of, of, of not, not being alive anymore and not seeing the people I loved. And the year, by that stage, it was acceptance. So it was just kind of like, whatever will be, will be now. Um, I can't fight this anymore. And I was sort of in this weird, lucid state kind of like a fever dream of, of coming in and out of consciousness um and so and it was by that afternoon I heard something that really just snapped me back into consciousness um which was a voice that came out so loudly and it was like clear as a bell and so so clearly that I thought I'd imagined it so I heard the word <coughs> coyote come out of the sky so of course I just thought I woke up kind of came well I came around from my little fever dream and I was like, was that, did that I, did I actually happen or did I imagine it? And so I was listening like really hard. And then I heard this helicopter in the distance. And so I thought, oh, that's, hey, there's a helicopter. And then I heard the voice come again, which made me realize I, I hadn't imagined it. And I heard them say, we're looking for a missing hiker. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. <laughs> you know, they're looking for someone. I didn't actually know they were looking for me. I just thought, they're looking for someone. <laughs> like, well, they're looking for someone, so my chances are pretty high.
0: <laughs> yeah, she was so out of it by that point, she didn't even know that they were looking for her. Um, but, but the voice disappeared. The helicopter vanished into the distance, and Claire was suddenly crushed again for about 20 minutes. She thought that they couldn't find her, and that was it. Then the helicopter came back and announced on the loudspeaker, Claire Nelson, we're looking for you. They couldn't see her at that point. She put everything she had on her walking stick and she started waving it desperately around. Well,
1: the adrenaline that just surges through you and something like that. Like, again, that's, you just have these reserves that you don't even know are there. And as I say, I think it's, it's where the mind leads you sometimes that you can find those reserves. Because I certainly did. And by that point, I remember it was just a surge of adrenaline and I was I was sort of just, I was shaking. And I was just like, please, 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 please come back, please come back. And then I heard the helicopter come back again. And... I now know. Um, now I know that they actually were leaving the park at this point because they were running out of fuel. So it was a complete fluke that they had come over where I was, and I was waving this thing as loudly and I as loud. Sorry, I was waving my stick as high as high as I could, just just holding it at the very tip of it, so I could still get a good grip on it, waving it as widely and as quickly as I could, and just just hoping that they would see me. And then I heard the voice come again, and they said, we see you, we're going to come and get you. And then that was, you know, I'll never forget it.
0: What was the surge of relief like when you when you heard that?
1: I collapsed, I, I my arms fell, the stick fell. I just, like, I'd given it everything, and it was just this moment of, I don't need to fight anymore. And it just, I was sort of dry sobbing. I had no tears left this point, I was dry sobbing, and just, that relief, just, it was like, it was like a wave crashing over me.
0: She had no water left whatsoever, <laughs> not even to spare a tear. But she had to wait another hour because the chopper couldn't get to her that easily. And finally, it managed to land. The rescue team made their way down to the to the rocks where she was lying. And uh, once they realized the extent of her condition, they had to call another chopper, the California State Patrol chopper. And she was eventually winched up on a stretcher. And eventually, she ended up in hospital. But her missing status got flagged up because ultimately, it was the friend she was house-sitting for, They'd sent a few messages to her. They, they noticed that she hadn't posted on Instagram from her hike. And when she didn't reply to the messages, they asked a, another friend of theirs who lived in the neighbourhood the neighborhood, to pop round and check on her. And they found her car missing. They obviously found her missing. And the cats had gone unfed as well. So that had sounded the alarm bell. And luckily, she'd actually written on a scrap of paper in the kitchen where oh. she was going to do the hike, the Lost Palms Oasis. And I said to her then, you know, if she hadn't written that, that might have led to them taking an extra few hours to find her and who knows by that point she was right on the edge she was under no illusion as to how lucky she was.
1: Manny who was on lookout almost didn't see me but he said there was a little movement that just something didn't feel like it was like normally you, you get rubbish flying, flying around and flying around in the desert he said it just I had to double check so we got the binoculars out and that's how we saw me. Like these, all these tiny little factors that if I think about them, they, they make my hair stand on end. Like it's, it was just so many things that came together that I'm so fortunate.
0: She went uh, under, in, in the hospital, she underwent major, major surgery. She had pins inserted into her pelvis. She could, or, or she, it was three months, I should say, before she could stand up. She had to learn to walk again. And um, but by the end of the year, by the end of 2018, she was back on her feet. She wrote a book, Things I Learned from Falling, where she describes the process of being a bit lost in life and then putting it all back together again uh, through this accident. And and obviously reflecting on a lot of things and and making a lot of resolutions to to change things that she wasn't happy about in her life. And uh, I did have to ask her, I mean, what was the takeaway did she have an epiphany?
1: Well, from the moment I knew I was going to live, so the moment I heard those words, we see you, and I, I sort of went into shock because I, I was like, one minute you think, well, I'm not going to live, and the next minute, oh, oh, I am, okay. Um, I, and I realized then that all those things that I had thought about in the desert about, you know, what I had, the time I had wasted and the things that I wish I had done, I knew then that this was my chance to do it differently. Um, so it was, a, it was somewhere in between, really. It, it wasn't necessarily a light switch going on it was just more like okay this is my chance to do it and I, I can't I can't mess around anymore you know I I, I really have to embrace life and because now that I know what actual real fear feels like I realize all those other fears that i had let hold me back you know sort of fear of letting people in and fear of um being seen as vulnerable all those things it's like actually those aren't they really, they're really just things I've made up <laughs> And it was just such a liberating feeling. And I think writing the book also helped me kind of process that and, and get better at um, you know, bringing it into my life on a day-to-day.
0: Thanks for listening. And if you've enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you could subscribe, rate, and give us a review. We hope you join us next time on The Big Interview.